As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Soccer Show and the latest of our Euro 2020 group previews. Today, we're looking at Group C, and by we, I mean your friendly neighbourhood TSS hosts. I'm Ryan Bailey, and I'll shortly be giving you some info about Ukraine's chances in this tournament. With me today is a man who's fostering some Austrian opinions. That's the best rhyme I could do, Taylor Rockwell. <laughs> Guten Tag, Ryan. I'm going with the, uh, the Austrian greeting, which is, I think, the German greeting as well. Quite right, they do speak German in that particular country. I was I trying had to, to Google of... it. <laughs> uh, well, I was trying to think of some clever ways to intro Austria uh-huh. to try and find something, you know, interesting. And like, you've got Schwarzenegger and Hitler, and that's about it. <laughs> that's that, that's about it. Uh, I will say one of them has so far done the best job of anyone of keeping predators off the planet. So I, I think in that way, Arnold Schwarzenegger is Austria's greatest. Uh, Oh, uh, thank goodness you said Thank goodness you said <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, not the other one. The other one less so. The other one less so. Woo, moving on. Joining Taylor and I is a man who's about to offer you a schmuck and a pancake when talking about the Netherlands. It's Joe Lowry. Oh, man, things went off the rails so quickly there. And I think everyone realized it at the exact same time. Ryan, how you doing, buddy? Very good. Thank you. Very good. I'm excited to hear you speaking about the orange in this one. Uh, it, it reminds me, this team, Joe, of my favorite quote from uh, the great Michael Caine. There's two things I can't stand in this world. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. Bit of gold <laughs> well done. Well done. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. That is not the most Dutch thing I'm aware of, obviously, but uh, uh, I look forward to hearing some more Goldmember. Uh, I might drop some in here and there because I'm that annoying kind of person, Joe. Uh, joining us on this podcast also with Albania to the left of him, Bulgaria to the east. Here he is, stuck with North Macedonia, Graham Rutherford. Uh, I was looking forward to hearing what you were going to rhyme North Macedonia with, Ryan. Have you not got anything? <laughs> I mean, the uh, man from Caledonia representing North Macedonia. Oh, hey, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> that was it. That was it. <laughs> I, went, I had to go geographical instead, uh, w- instead of rhyming there. I hope you approve of that, Graham. And I hope you've got plenty in the, uh, in the chamber to tell us about North Macedonia. Oh, I certainly do. They like big cats in this country. Uh, that's a teaser. I'll, I'll explain later. Oh, I'm intrigued. I'd like to know more now, but let's move on and talk uh, generally about this group. Group C is taking place in Bucharest and Amsterdam, which makes Joe, it makes your team, the Netherlands, one of the hosts of this tournament. Looking forward to hearing more about that. As I said, Joe is talking about the Netherlands here. I'm going to be covering off a bit of Ukraine. Taylor, Austria for you. And as I mentioned there, Graham is going to be tackling North Macedonia, eventual Euro 2020 champions in waiting. Uh, Joe, why don't we start off with a bit of info about the Netherlands? Uh, I want to hear things like their nickname, how they got here, who's their coach. Give me a bit of an overview to start off with, please. So, Ryan, you already took over my best material, the nickname, the orange, the orange. Uh, I think a lot of folks already know that their jerseys most often are orange, which was my childhood favorite color. So there's a little factoid for you. How they got here. Well, the Netherlands missed the last two major tournaments, so they're back now, and this is kind of a big deal. It's kind of back to expectation. They finished second in Group C in qualifying two points behind Germany, but ahead of Northern Ireland, Belarus, and Estonia. They ran through that qualifying campaign under current Barcelona manager Ronald Koeman, who left after that Euro qualifying campaign with the Netherlands to go coach Barcelona. So then after a month after Koeman was out, Frank de Boer, former Atlanta United legend Frank de Boer, was hired (laughs) as their new manager. I'm being facetious there. Frank de Boer's time with Atlanta United was very bad. Even though he won a couple of trophies, they... Just how that team changed philosophically um, and and from an identity standpoint was not flattering to him. But really, I think problems extended beyond him and into that front office. But Frank DeBoer has this pretty impressive coaching career, at least in terms of places that he's coached at club level. He's coached Ajax. He's coached Inter Milan, Crystal Palace, and then, as I said, Atlanta United. DeBoer, after taking over that Netherlands job, was winless in his first four games, and that was a pretty big deal. I watched a good chunk of those first four matches back when it happened, and the team looked like Atlanta United looked in the latter stages of his tenure, which is to say slow in possession and very committed to possession as well. But things have turned around, which is encouraging for him and for the Netherlands. He's now been in charge for a total of nine games, and they've won four of their last five, playing this possession-based style. Either way, it's it's a couple of different shapes, but either way, they use the ball to try to break down the other team. Uh, there's a lot of short passes, a lot of rotations in midfield. They like to build from the back. They'll keep possession, especially against weaker teams, um, and we could see them control a lot of the ball in this group. Um, Joe, we've been treated to some thrilling Netherlands soccer at tournaments um, over the past few, let's say, decades. Um, But thinking of a manager who's been with Atlanta United and didn't have the most wonderful spell at Crystal Palace either. um, Are we we on on route for a thrill ride of any kind here? I mean, obviously, he has a very good record at Ajax and did very well there. So what kind of entertainment value are we getting from this team? I think this team's entertaining, and that could just be because I like to watch possession soccer, and I think a lot of folks out there do too. 
after the first four games, if you'd asked me that question, Ryan, I probably would have said, man, this could be a tough watch because the team looks a little bit listless in possession. But now it looks to me like they are creating chances at a higher level. They are breaking teams down a little bit more effectively. But to be honest, it doesn't really matter what I think right now. This tournament is a chance for DeBoer to prove that he has this team playing good soccer that can actually compete and get the Netherlands competing in a major tournament. So that's the storyline. I think they're going to be entertaining. They have so much talent, even without Virgil van Dijk, who's out of this tournament with an injury. But they have so much quality in this group. If they don't play well, that's a little bit of a problem. All right. Um, I will uh, jump in there, Joe, if you don't mind, and talk about the uh, second team we're going to discuss here, the Ukraine, who are known as... Gets ready to speak some Russian. Holovna Komanda, <laughs> the main team, or Zotvo Sini, the yellow and blue. And I do have an affinity for teams who play in those two particular colours. Getting the Wimbledon reference in early in this episode, you are very welcome. Uh, Ukraine have been a full UEFA member since 1992, following the independence uh, from the Soviet Union. They are 24th in the FIFA rankings. Uh, they've not been in the World Cup since 2006. They didn't clear their group at Euro 2012 or Euro 2016 which is a bit shocking seeing as they co-hosted in Euro 2012, of course. Uh, They were in pot two of qualifying for these Euros, along with Russia, whom they are banned from playing for political reasons. Uh, The interesting part of their qualification process, gents, was that they won their group. They were in Group B. They finished above Portugal with a 6-2-0 record in that group. And uh, they beat Portugal with a 2-1 victory in October 2019 in Kiev and held them to a draw in Lisbon as well. Uh, their coach, you might have heard of him, Andrei Shevchenko. You know, the guy who used to play golf and used to be a politician. Yeah. Heard of him? That guy. <laughs> what a weird career he's had. He has a, yeah, there was a point where he tried to be a professional golfer for about three minutes and uh, it didn't go so well. So he did move into politics in his home nation of the Ukraine, which also didn't go so well. So he's moved back into soccer. This is Andrei Shevchenko, the former Ballon d'Or winner, of course, uh, in his first senior, senior managerial job. He was, in point, he was appointed to this role um, after the aforementioned pretty poor showing at Euro 2016, where Ukraine didn't even get a goal in any of their uh, three uh, games in that tournament. So far, so good for Andrei Shevchenko, though, at the helm of Ukraine. I mean, I, I say that, that the Euro, uh, sorry, the World Cup qualification campaign isn't going wonderfully so far. They've had three draws, no wins so far. But, um, you know, been in impressive form leading up to the Euros otherwise, and certainly in the aforementioned qualification group. In terms of what uh, Shevchenko likes to do, he loves himself a back three. He'll do a 3-4-1-2. Uh, or if, um, if playing against, let's say, more expansive opposition, that'll go to a 5-3-2. So if you look at the World Cup qualifier uh, in March against France, it was a back five, uh, and they earned a draw in Paris in that one, a very impressive draw, no less. But he's also, he has tinkered a little bit. He's used 4-3-3 as well. He has used a back four uh, in a lot of your qualification games as well. Uh, Shevchenko says he likes his teams to play creative soccer. I quote him here, there must be a balance. Players must understand when to attack and when to defend or control the ball, when to circle and when to give. So I think he's saying that players must understand how to play soccer in that quote, pretty much. <laughs> um, he's, uh, uh, interestingly, one nugget I found, I was reading on Eurosport, that they claimed a little while ago that the Ukraine could be dark horses in this tournament. I think that might be mm, a little bit much, a little strong for how far this team might go, given their previous record in recent Euros. But they sort of characterise teams who are dark horses as cohesive units whose players, whether by circumstance or design, I'm quoting here, have a deep understanding of one another's roles within the teams, or they are conservative sides who defend well 
and for want of a better word, grind their way to success. And Eurosport claimed that Ukraine are a mixture of these two categories, maybe more, I would say, like the second category, like we've seen Portugal or Greece grind their way to success in this tournament. So there you go. Everything you never wanted to know about Ukraine, gents. Any questions before we move on to Austria? Yeah, I got one for you, Ryan. Uh, Mm -hmm. Since we've already gotten in the Scotland reference and the Wimbledon reference to get the Man United reference in, uh, who at this point is more baby-faced between Andrei Shevchenko (laughs) and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? (laughs) I think think, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's life has weathered him a little more, I would argue. (laughs) Who's older? Which is, Shevchenko's older, right? We're just saying, the, yeah, if, if Shevchenko's gone into politics yeah, right? and, <laughs> and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been weathered more by Manchester United, not a good look for Manchester United. I stand by Not it. great. I stand by it. Not great. <laughs> but it will be good to see Shevchenko back. He's still Ukraine's top scorer, by the way. Um, so I'm, I'm not saying he's going to sub himself on or anything, but uh, it, it certainly will be good to see him on the sidelines uh, in this tournament. Taylor, uh, unless you have any further questions about our Ukrainian friends, why don't we hear a little bit about Austria? And I will say we're recording this moments before Austria are going to face uh, or they're going to uh, inevitably lose to England in a friendly. Uh, so um, just, to, just to couch it in that. Thank you for that, because I uh, had not taken that into consideration. Perhaps I should have, because there is a weird amount of uncertainty about this Austria team. The most certain thing being that David Alaba will be there and will be very important. Where he plays is a matter of debate. We'll get to that later. For right now, Austria, uh, also known as Das Team. That's a tough one. It means the team for those uh, who don't speak Das. Uh, I'm going to try one down. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, take your time. It's D. A-S. How they got here was finishing second in their qualifying group behind Poland ahead of North Macedonia. Uh, They had 19 points to Poland's 25 to North Macedonia's 14. Marko Arnautovic was their top scorer with six goals, but has been less involved of late because he's been playing in China. Still playing well, still scoring goals, but because of travel restrictions, he has not been able to join up with the team as much, which has opened the door for other players. We'll talk some more about that as well. Um... But in terms of how they're going to play for this one, uh, manager Franco Foda uh, tends to take a more defensive approach. It, this formation tends to be listed as a 4-4-2. I would go with something more along the lines of a 4-4-1-1 uh, with those two central midfielders. My guess would be it's going to be Julian Baumgartlinger and Stefan Ilsanker if both are fit and ready to go. They'll be sort of sitting in front of the back line. They screen. They play very defensive and then build through the kind of individual attacking talents they have. But it's worth noting that uh, when they won their Nations League group versus uh, Norway, Northern Ireland and Romania, I think four of their nine total goals came in the final 10 minutes. So though they do sit, they can be defensive. They do certainly have the opportunity to score some dramatic goals late. So I would say they're a team that aren't going to be always the most eye-catching, but have the flair and the work rate to grind out results. And I think that's exactly what their approach will be. And I think they will be mostly successful in this group uh, in these Euros. So we've got uh, a Ukraine team who are going to grind out results, an Austrian mm-hmm. team who are going to grind out results. Yeah. This is a... Uh, okay. Group C, yeah. cool. But we've got a flair North Macedonia team to hear about, so we don't even need to worry oh, about Oh, tell me more, Graham Rutherford. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you in that regard, <laughs> telling you about North Macedonia. Yes, yeah, so North Macedonia are the team that are going to finish bottom of this group, and uh, their nickname... <laughs> Sorry, North Macedonians, but... Uh, just uh, speaking, speaking the truth here. Um, their, their, their nicknames, they've got two nicknames. Um, one is the Rusovi, and the other is the La- Lavovi. And I'm sure I've pronounced that incorrectly, but one means the lynxes and the the other one means the lions. 
So that's what I was re- referring to when I say they, they like big cats in this country. However, oh. having said that, their latest kit for this tournament featured a large lynx on the front of it. And for reasons that aren't entirely clear to me, I think maybe it was the shade of the shirt was slightly different. There was a massive public outrage, and now they're going to be using the shirt, their previous shirt, which has a sort of a rays of the sun uh, spreading out from, from the badge, which is very reminiscent of the the flag of the country. So, yeah, maybe they're not as keen on big cats as I, as I thought they were, or their kit manufacturers thought they were either. But this, this is North Macedonia's first ever appearance at a European Championships, their first ever major tournament since gaining independence in the early 90s. Um, as Taylor already referenced about, about the qualification group, they were in Austria's group and they finished third behind Poland and Austria. But they... Um, they didn't really qualify strictly through that group. They, it was through their Nations League performance. And I could explain how that all worked with the Nations League, but uh, I don't think the listeners would enjoy that much. You're just going to have to take my, my word for it, that they, they got their playoff place through the Nations League. And um, they beat Kosovo and Georgia in the playoffs to qualify for Euro 2020. Um, it would be remiss of me not to mention North Macedonia's last competitive result, um, which was a shock 2-1 win away to Germany in March, which really made a few people uh, sit up and take notes. I think that game is a little bit of an outlier, I have to say. Maybe don't expect too much of that at at this tournament. But the game before that, they thumped Liechtenstein 5-0. And then the game before that, they lost narrowly 3-2 away to uh, Romania in World Cup qualification. So all this is to say that I don't expect North Macedonia to be humiliated at at this tournament. I think they would probably take a point from the three games to be honest when I'm looking through the predictions and, and what their kind of their their footballing experts are saying. Um that would be deemed a success if 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 they avoided defeat in one of the games. It's quite a challenging group, I think. And if you look back through the results over the last few years, they don't lose as often as as you might think they do. And when they do lose, they don't lose by much. Um their coach is a man called Igor Angelovsky. 44-year-old has been in charge of the country since 2015. So he's been in charge for um, a little while. Before that, he had a successful period with uh, Robotniki in uh, Serbia, winning some some trophies there. Um, and um, yeah, the, the, the style of play that he favours is quite conservative. Team, the team mostly relies on, believe it or not, Goran Pandev, who will be speaking a little bit later uh, about later on a little bit more yes he's still playing yes he's 37 and yes he's still very important to North Macedonia but um yeah expect him to sit deep and try and hit opponents on on the counter attack um they they're very reliant on the wide areas um Angelovsky has experimented with 4-2-3-1 4-4-2 systems but it's the 4-3-4-1-2 uh, setup that got him through qualifying, and and that tends to be the system that he 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 reverts back to when it when it matters most. And key to this system, as I say, is the wing backs, Alioski on the left, Leeds United Alioski, one of the more familiar names in this squad, uh, and then Dinamo Zagreb's uh, Ristovski on on the right as well. They are so crucial, and actually, of all the teams I've looked through at the Euro so far, the the width of this team is is more important to them than any other side I've come across so far. So. It, 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 that will really be the key to them is getting forward on the wide areas. And if they don't do that, they'll have a, a, a quite a challenging tournament, I think. Graham, you mentioned that um, win over Germany. Is there any um, feeling that there might be a shock in this team somewhere in this tournament? I suppose you. I suppose you have to say after that that win against Germany that they, they've got it in them to go to to go away to Germany as well. That was the other thing. It was it was away. It was actually in Germany in a competitive match, not a friendly. It was a, mm. a World Cup qualifier. 
And even in that match, it was Alioski that, that caught the eye for me. Um, he was he was the one who set the, the, the winner on a plate in the 85th minute by getting down to the byline down the left side. So I, I, he's got six goals, I think, for North Macedonia in this, since 2018. Um, so basically what I'm saying is if, if North Macedonia can harness him, um, I do think he could do some damage. And, you know, strange things have happened to, in, in, in particularly in the Euros where obviously third-place teams can actually get through to the, to the latter round. So I, I don't expect it, but it, it, I, I don't think it's totally out of the question that they, they could get a win and maybe scrape even scrape through as one of the best-placed uh, third-place teams. But yes, it would be a bit of a shock, I think. Well, two, and, and two just things. to... Oh, go oh, ahead, sorry, go, go just ahead, to jump in, I think it's so interesting, the, the makeup of teams that I find often do well in international tournaments, in the World Cup or in the Euros or whatever tournament you're talking about. It's so hard to win tournaments like this playing expansive Dutch-style soccer. I mean, I'm talking about the Netherlands here and talking about how they want to use the ball to break down the other team. And that's, that's great, but that's so hard. The margins are so small. I talk about that all the time. The margins in soccer are so small, and they're even smaller when you're the team that's taking up that protagonist role. And so I think the Netherlands have the most talent in this group, but yeah, there's no reason why a team like North Macedonia or Austria or Ukraine, teams that I guess are more inclined to sit a little bit deeper and play a little bit more defensive, those teams could actually be set up to do better than a team like the Netherlands, just because stylistically, I think that lends itself better towards being a, an actual threat to make it out of a group and just be generally challenging to play against and then make a make a deep run. I mean, France kind of did that. And that's a really extreme example because they have more talent than anyone in the world. But the style that Didier Deschamps plays, and we'll talk more about this later on next week, but the style that, that they play over the last few years is defensive. It is, we're going to absorb pressure and then be a nightmare on the break. And so while these other teams like North Macedonia don't have the talent to be quite as much of a nightmare on the break, I can still see them causing real problems in this group and, and maybe even throughout the rest of this tournament. And, Joe, and Joe, I, just I so- completely agree. Yeah. Uh, so I keep interrupting. I apologize, fellas. I just wanted to add that like, that is why I think this group's going to be wide open is because there's three teams that are going to grind and one team that are yeah. expected to do well but have their own question marks around them. I think this group is going to be fascinating. And, and just along those lines, Joe, even North Macedonia, who, as I say, I think they will finish bottom of this group, but their, their system is, is, is basically set up to give a, a, a support, give a harness to their three individual players. So I'm, I'm kind of giving away my key players a little bit here, about Alioski, Elmas, and, and, and Pandev. So the, the, the team is basically just about giving those guys the freedom to go and do their thing. And I think in international football, that can get you quite a long way, where obviously the coaches don't have the amount of time that club coaches have on, on the training field. Wonderful stuff. Well, it sounds like this year will be a very interesting group as it unfolds. Graham, what I will say is even if North Macedonia are the minnows in this tournament, they have the best flag, best national flag by far. You mentioned those kits with sort of the rising sun pattern on them. Best kit, probably a contender for that. And this whole Lynxes thing has really hit me for six. I didn't. I, I, that's <laughs> wild. Are Lynx native to Macedonia, Graham? I have to say, uh, my research did not encapsulate that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure. I, I mean, if they're not, if lynxes and lions are not uh, native to North Macedonia, then I, I honestly, they just really have a sort of an inherent fascination for big cats. I don't really know what what it's come from, to be honest. I mean, what kind of silly national team would have a big cat 
uh, uh, representing them, uh, despite big cats not being native. Um, we're going to be talking about England in our next episode, by the way. So stay tuned for that. For no Ryan, I have reason. to interject here to point out because people always miss this. I, I made for Daryl. I made like uh, England themed coasters, like I wood burned them, and he was like, "Oh, did you not have enough room?" I've mentioned this so many times, I will forever mention it. Uh, when he looked at, it, he was like, "Oh, did you not have enough space for the third line?" And I was like, "No, dude, that's how the bottom line looks." Have you ever noticed that the third line on the England crest is just shoved in there? Like it is definitely like doesn't quite fit the badge and has to like bend its arm in a weird way. Uh, so yes, not only do you have one, but you have three, but one of them I've is a little bit uncomfortable. It's ridiculous. Just noting just that Taylor it. is making fun of our baby lion. Oh. In ammunition for later on. Okay, thank you very much. By the way, sorry, sorry, Ryan. There is a Balkan lynx species. So there you go. That's where it comes from. Really? Native to wow. East, native to Eastern Albania and Western Western North Macedonia. So quite a specific part of the world there. <laughs> Goodness me. That's incredible. Well, I'm, I'm glad if I learn anything today or indeed this week, Graham, it will be about the native uh, wildcats in North Macedonia. Thank you very much for that. And uh, thank you, gents, for the little overview of your teams there in Group C. We'll be back with much more in depth after these short messages. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. Did you miss us? Maybe. Well, we're back anyway. Joe Lowry, I want to hear more about the Netherlands. I want to hear specifically about the key players. And maybe throw me a name or two of breakout players, please. You got it, Mr. Bailey. Let's start in the back, if you will. As I mentioned before, Virgil van Dijk is out for this tournament, and that's a big loss for how Frank de Boer wants this team to play. It was a big loss for how Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool team played. You can't have that same level of high line. You can still play the high line, but it's likely not going to be quite as effective defensively as you're counter-pressing and just simply high-pressing. And then you also lose some ball playing in the back without Virgil van Dijk. But even without him, the Netherlands still have talent. They have Stefan de Vrij of Inter Milan and Matthias de Ligt of Juventus that are likely to be that starting center-back pairing. Moving up into midfield, Frankie de Jong is the first real key player in that area that I wanted to highlight. He's so important to how this team moves in possession, how they progress the ball. He is the guy, from what I've seen, that cues a lot of their position rotations. So he'll drop between the center backs, which then splits those center backs wide and cues a couple other rotations in midfield. He'll drop into a fullback spot to pick up the ball, shifting some players around out wide. He'll do a lot of that kind of stuff, then drive it forward. He can play some line-breaking passes, but he's better at, at breaking lines on the dribble. So he, he brings a lot to this team. The biggest question I have about Frankie de Jong He's played about 4,500 minutes this season, which is just insane. He's got to be dead tired at this point. If he's going to go out there and start at least two group stage games and maybe beyond that, I'm just curious about how he's going to hold up physically in this tournament. The good news for Frankie de Jong is, though, that he has a really exceptional 
uh, a couple other midfielders, but spe- specifically Wijnaldum, that I wanted to highlight. Uh, another Liverpool player without Van Dijk, but but he is the, the kind of talisman Liverpool guy in this group. He tends to play as the most advanced central midfielder, oftentimes with the young and then Martin Darun from Atalanta behind him. He likes to makes runs. He likes to make runs into the box. These kind of late arriving, uh, late arriving runs. Excuse me. He'll operate some in the final third, combined with the forward line. He drives this team forward uh, after De Jong kind of loses the ball or after De Jong lays it off when Aldem is the next guy to take up that possession in more advanced areas. And then at that point, he will combine with that attacking line. And my my question in terms of key players is who's going to start at the nine? Because the Netherlands have a couple of really strong options. Option one, Memphis Depay. He could start up top or he could start on the left wing if my option two, Luke de Jong, starts up top. So they, they're very different players. Depay is much more of a dribbler. He scored 20 goals on 17.7 XG and had 12 assists on 13.7 XA. For Lyon this season, he's dangerous between the lines. He loves to dribble, as I said, after he receives the ball. Doesn't do a ton of pressing, but he's a big part of this team's attack, getting the ball on his right foot and driving play forward. And then, as I said, option two, Luke de Jong. He started their last two games uh, under Frank de Boer as we're recording now. They have a game today as we're recording on Wednesday as well. But he can push Depay out to that left wing. So it very likely could be de Jong, who's six foot two, much more of an aerial threat, much more of an outlet than Depay. It could be de Jong up top. It could be Depay on the left. But I will say, if it just depends on how de Boer views the opposition, right? Because if he views them as, yeah, they're going to pack numbers in the box, we don't really want to cross the ball into those spaces, then I think it will be Depay. But if if he thinks, man, we could really get away with a few crosses here and use size in the middle, then De Jong, I think, is a better fit. Uh, I've been talking for forever, but my one breakout player, very quickly, Daniel Malin. He he looks super dangerous, 22 yes. years old, left winger. Um, and and this is this is kind of why, deep down, I want to see Depay as the nine, because if he's not and De Jong is, that's going to shift Depay out to the left wing, which means we're not going to get to see Daniel Malin start. But as I said, 22 years old, started in the Ajax Academy, then went to Arsenal. Now he's playing for PSV. Had 19 goals and 8 assists, plus another 5 goals in the Europa League this year for PSV. He's so good. He's fast. He's skillful. He can cut inside, get to the end line. He can play a well-weighted through ball or across. He loves to drift inside. Just such a filthy good left winger. And for a guy who's only 22, this could be the, the tournament that gets him a move to a non-Eredivisie club. Um, Graham, I heard you uh, let out some excitement there when Joe yes. mentioned Martin. Was were, were you excited about him, or do you just googling more cat facts? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't, I didn't anticipate it coming out so softly. Uh, it was meant to be more of a more of a bold yes, but um, yeah, we'll just go with it. That's now my thing. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm glad it's got your support there. Um, you meant your Joe. Your point about uh, De Jong and potentially being tired or fatigued from from playing a lot of matches that's going to be a fairly universal theme of this tournament I'd imagine right I mean there's going to be a lot of fatigued players out there he's going to be playing against Goran Pandev he's 37 I'm 37 I get tired like getting dressed in the morning so I lord only imagine how he feels but sincerely it does maybe we're going to see um some 70 after the 70th minute some some drops in pace in this tournament perhaps Joe yeah, I think that's one of the big macro things I'm looking at for this tournament. Zooming way out from Frankie de Jong, I, I think it could be it, it, that the the minutes that all these players have played and the miles that they put on their bodies this year could make for a slow, sluggish tournament at times. There's still going to be games that are exciting and moments that are exciting. But this could be a little bit of a different tournament than we're used to just because players like Frankie de Jong have played 4,500 minutes, which again is just mm. insane. So what you're all saying is Florentino Perez was correct and we should have shorter matches for the Euros. 
Uh, yeah, yes. No, yeah. <laughs> he just wanted, like, just TikToks of games, right? Like, six minutes long or something. Is that what he wanted? Something like that. That's how you capture the younger generation. Put exactly. soccer on TikTok and TikTok alone. Got to pander to those gen... What, what gen is it now? Z? I don't know. Yeah, we're we're in Z. I don't know what's below Z. Maybe Does that mean there's not going to be another zero? generation? <laughs> yeah, we're done. Last one. This is it. <laughs> that feels okay. I mean, I don't think it, I don't think that phraseology started with Gen A. I don't think we worked our way through the alphabet. To be fair, so we might be okay in that respect. I will jump uh, in here, gents, and uh, come in with Ukraine and their key players. I will say, by the way, Shevchenko has used a lot of players. According to Squawky, he's used over sixty different players in his tenure since 2016. That's quite a lot. Uh, if you look at um, up top, you've got Roman Yeremchuk, who's a striker with Ghent, who usually forms uh, part of a front two for the Ukraine. He was a top scorer in qualifying with four goals. Not a huge haul, but um, he's certainly one to look out for. Um, a more familiar name perhaps will be uh, Andrei Yarmolenko, excuse me. Um, one of the biggest attacking threats he'll be, if not Yarmchuk, uh, in this tournament. He you know, you know, plays a lot on the right, but can play on the left too with this team. He scored 38 goals for the Ukraine. Uh, that's only 10 goals less than Shevchenko. So imagine if he gets the golden boot and gets 10 goals and overtakes Shevchenko. It's not going to happen. Just something to imagine. That might be fun. Uh, the other key player I would imagine from this team is another familiar name, Alexander Zinchenko, who can play in a variety of positions for this Ukraine team. If, if it's a back four, he'll play the left back and he'll play the wing back um, in a back three system. He's also been played by Shevchenko in a midfield three, a bit further infield, but it's interestingly. He's, uh, he's also, yeah, he's been used centrally in a double pivot as well. So he's basically the James Milner of this team. He's the, he's the utility man um, to look out for is Mr. Zinchenko and obviously one of their more um, creative, talented players. Uh, in terms of a breakout player, I'm looking towards uh, Mikola Shaparenko. He's got ten clap. Excuse me, he's got ten caps so far. He's uh, he plays his uh, domestic soccer with Kiev with Dynamo Kiev. Um, he turns 23 in October. The best sort, of, the vaguest description I can give you of him is Modric esque, and you have to say it like that because it's kind of. But uh, that's uh, my kind of look at the uh, Ukrainians to watch out for. Taylor, Austrians. Well, there's this one guy named David Alaba, and we're going to talk a lot about him and then a little bit about some other people. But I will say, based on the conversations that we've had so far in this show, I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic about Austria at this point. And I think they will, at the very least, be competing for that third place spot. I do think they, they make it out of this group in the end because they have a lot of familiarity and a lot of stability. And I think they've got a defensive like foundation to build off of. And that is just so important when it comes to knockout competitions, but they also have a lot of talent, some of which will be uh, pretty familiar to people, including Marco Arnautovic, who I talked about previously uh, was their top goal scorer in qualification. Uh, I will jump to maybe young player to keep an eye on. Because the person who could rival Arnautovic for that starting job up top would be Sasha Kalajic. Uh, I've butchered that one, but there's a lot of consonants in uh, sequential order, and so I've done my best. Uh, but he is a six foot seven striker, plays for VFB Stuttgart, played with them in the Zwei Bundesliga, went up with them this season, scored, wrote down in my notes, but cannot find 16 goals in 33 appearances, 23 of them being starts. Uh, Graham, what's the uh, the Scottish podcast that you recommended people listen to for their Euro previews? Uh, pure football. 
That's the one. Uh, I listened to their interview, their preview of this uh, Austria team, and I think they summed it up really well when they said that he's reminiscent of Peter Crouch in that he has that height. He has a slight frame, but also has good footwork and good goal-scoring instincts, so it's not just about him being big in the air. It's about him also being able to score with both of his feet. Uh, Uh, Taylor, I've got to jump in. You listened to a Scottish podcast, and you were able to understand all of it? I mean, you know, bits and pieces. I did my best. Is football <laughs> football? Is that what I'm yeah. left to understand? That's correct. Yeah. Football. <laughs> yeah. I think was it, I can't remember if it was train spotting that had the glossary in the back of the book for people who didn't know what was happening. That went a long oh, way gosh. towards helping me understand what foot, football was when I was like 15. Yeah, that's, that's a slog of a read because train spotting, it's Irvine Welsh, isn't it? It's, it's written in, um, in sort of Scottish, what would you call that? Dialect, I suppose, when it's written down. And it's, yeah, it, you gotta, you got to get into the mind of an accent when you read that book, for sure. It, I think I read that because I was a, an edgy teenager. I think I read that around the same period. I read Clockwork Orange, and they were, mm-hmm. and that one has all the weird future speak that doesn't make any sense, and they were equally incomprehensible. Uh, Scotland <laughs> and a made-up future speak. The, the, way uh, Irvin, the, the way Irvin Welsh writes, that's how I write, and then I just stick all my articles into Google Translate and <laughs> go, I go, English. Yes. I think they were interviewing uh, an English uh, an English person who was an Austrian expert, so that probably helped as well. Um, but as I mentioned, it could be uh, Kalajdzic starting up top. He's only 23, and he would be the one that I think could be a breakout player. He's got future free transfer to Bayern Munich written all over him. I don't know how they'll make that work. It's just what they do. But if it is Kalajdzic, this is where it gets interesting, because you could then have Marko Arnautovic go out to the left wing slash left midfield. That could leave David Alaba to play central midfield, to play left back, or he could start at left wing. That is where I have him starting, but he really does fill a number of different roles and is just such an important creator of force for this Austria team uh, and if if nothing else will be the player that other teams will focus upon they'll try to shut him down and anytime a team is overly focused on one player it opens up opportunities for others because Austria have plenty of talent in there like Marcel Sabitzer who as I said if they're in that 4-4-1-1 I would say will be the the support striker the number 10 uh, has been a massive performer for RB Leipzig this season and certainly will be a big performer for Austria uh, this summer you've got Martin uh, Hinteregger in the back. You've got Alexander Dragovic, who is their second, I think, uh, most caps in the history of the Austrian national team. So experience there as well. Conrad Leimer is in the squad, another Leipzig player, but I think only played three games this entire season. All of them were in mid to early May. So has returned. Whether or not he'll be up to full fitness for this competition, I, I don't know for sure. If not, Julian Baumgartlinger could also start. He also has an injury. Stefan Sanker could also start. He does not carry an injury. So that's positive things for Austria, but there is a lot of talent there, and there's a ton of familiarity because they've been together for a while. It's a lot of 26, 27, 28-year-old players, some 30-year-olds, but you've got the sort of squad cohesiveness and and I think just an overall ability to compete as a unit that will help them and uh, serve them very strongly in this tournament. I think that's my takeaway looking at this squad, Taylor. You mentioned uh, the, the age they're at. There's a lot yep. of sort of between sort of 25 and 28 kind of players. You could argue a lot of this squad is maybe hitting its prime, yeah. uh, 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 physically speaking. I mean, as, as you mentioned, Nortovich, what's he, early 30s, 32 he is, mm-hmm. and Baumgartling is a little older than that. But there's there's a lot of this team, might yeah. be this might be just falling perfectly for them. So maybe I, I should pivot and ask you if this team is better off this season, uh, having this tournament this summer than last? 
maybe? I think the only the only wrinkle would be Conrad Leimer and if he's able to play because he, he just because he's played for Nagelsmann, he knows how to press, which isn't a thing they'll be doing, but I, I guess what that says to me is that he's able to jump into a complicated system and function very well. So jumping into a system that he's already familiar with that I would say is slightly less complicated than a high press, high tempo sort of situation, I think he would be a strong performer for them. But that aside, yeah, I mean, you look at, I mean, maybe Arnautovic, like you might rather have him scoring goals in the Premier League, but he wasn't even doing a ton of that, whereas he is in China. Savitzer is coming off of an incredibly strong year. Uh, I'm looking through like every, I mean, even even somebody like Kaladzic, who I think, yeah, this point last season is just getting out of the Zwei Bundesliga hasn't yet shown he can do it at that top level in Germany so yeah Ryan I think it is probably the case that they're in a stronger position now than they would have been a year ago there we go all right um Graham uh Taylor and I before recording were delighted to know that there is a a player in this tournament who is older than both of us uh (laughs) please tell us about him and uh and the key players on North Macedonia Yes, that player is Goran Pandev. Um, already spoken a little bit about him earlier in the podcast, of course. Um, 37 years old, and and um, as a key player, it's it's kind of difficult to to look past him. I saw one preview of North Macedonia for this tournament describe him as quote the football Jesus of North Macedonia. Not sure if that's huh. maybe overselling him slightly <laughs> or an indictment on uh, football in North Macedonia. But anyway, we'll we'll go with it. He's certainly the the biggest footballing export in the in the in the in the country's history. He was persuaded out of inter- international retirement a few years ago by Angelovsky once he uh, took over in the job. A versatile striker, he he, he mainly operates as a, a sort of attacking midfielder in this team. Uh, moved to Italy in 2001, just giving a bit of background on him. We already know about Goran Pandev, but won the Champions League with Inter 2010. Good years with Lazio, Napoli. He's North Macedonia's most capped player and their top goal scorer by some distance, which for a player who's 37 is maybe not that surprising that he has. he's their most capped player at least, but he's got 37 goals in 117 Caps, but in terms of the system, uh, and again, I kind of gave my hand away a little bit earlier in, in, in the chat, but I'd point to Alioski as the most important player in this team for the system um, and just generally for the threat he poses in the way that North Macedonia get up the pitch. He's, he's quick, composed on the ball. He's very uh, keen to, to get forward. For my money, he's one of the, the most underrated left-backs in the Premier League at the moment. I think he's had a very good season for a very good Leeds United team. So it wouldn't be wouldn't be too much for surprise to see him carry that into the the tournament this summer, and he certainly gives North North Macedonia an option when hitting teams on the breaks or on on the break or when getting uh, crosses, whether they're low crosses or whipped crosses. I, I mentioned earlier he put on a plate the 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 chance that that North Macedonia scored the winner from against Germany back in March. So the system needs him as an outlet down the down the line, uh, down the wing. Another player that I would uh, I would mention is Levante's Enes Bardi, someone that I've watched a lot just through my, my job watching a lot of Spanish football. He's, he's a really good dead ball specialist. Um, he's not actually a nailed-on starter. He has actually come off the bench in, in a lot of games um, for Angelovsky, but I think in a, in, a, in a group and in a tournament where North Macedonia might not create that many chances and they may struggle to get up the pitch if it's not through Alioski, I think he could be a good method for North Macedonia to get at opponents, as I say, if they're struggling in, in open play. In terms of a breakout player, I would um, maybe point to Elif Elmas, um, who's at Napoli. So maybe a name that you've you've seen kicking around. He has He's not a regular starter for, for Napoli. 
Um, but started some games in, in the Europa League, and there is a sense that at 21 years old, he is growing as a player. He's uh, you, he's not he's, he, when I watch him, he's not particularly fast over long distances, but he has good acceleration and in, 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 um, kind of short short spaces. He's a, he's a very technical player with very good vision, uh, and has always kind of done well for for Macedonia. So. Um, and, and last summer I was reading, he was he was actually pretty close to joining Alioski at, at, at Leeds United, but Napoli wouldn't let him leave or Leeds wouldn't, wouldn't meet the, the asking price. So that sort of interest um, suggests that there's there's a good player there. There's a good pedigree of player there. And this might be a tournament where he where he shows that. And he's got a good link up with Alioski as well. So um, those are the players that I would point to as the, the, the guys who will decide whether this is a good tournament or not for North Macedonia. Uh, Graham, I have a question about Goran Pandev. First, I have a comment. Uh, I remember like many years ago uh, in the pre-match for a U.S. game when Thomas Dooley was warming up and they showed his information and they showed that he was 35. Uh, The commentator, I think, said, like, how many years has Thomas Dooley been 35? And I feel like Goran Pandev (laughs) was 37 10 years ago when I saw him playing. So that he is still 37 is commendable. But he is, as you said, the, the biggest name, the biggest player for this team. And I'm asking you to speculate here, but... Sometimes in tournaments where there is this sort of one big player that the the team sort of looks to, that is the leader, is the goal scorer, sometimes they back that up and they have that one game where they get the goal, they score the winner, and then there's the other competitions in which they sort of, they don't. They're a damp squib. They kind of don't have that impact. Mm. Maybe they're marked out of the game because they do have that pedigree. If you had to guess, because I want Pondev to have at least one game where he scores a goal and is sort of the hero, do you think this is a competition where he has the potential to make that impact and and get a goal or get a couple goals? Or do you think more likely with the lack of kind of top-tier talent around him, he won't have as big of an impact this summer? I think he relies a lot. And so his, his strike partner is likely to be Treskovsky, who, who who's going to start as the, the number nine alongside him. And, and when I've watched a lot of the games that North Macedonia have played or the, or the highlights of the games that I, I watched in preparation for this, it feels like they play off him a lot and Pandev is the one to, who kind of buzzes around. And he definitely, he definitely is fading a little bit as a force, which is understandable at, at 37. So I think I, he's not going to, even, even though he has been a brilliant player, I don't think he's going to produce something out of nothing. I think he's going to need this team to support him. But I, if you, if I have to guess, yes, I think we will get a Pandev moment. Whether that's a, a goal, a consolation goal, and a you know a three-one or something like that, or a winning goal, I'm 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 not so sure. But yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely still the spark there, and also you can't underestimate just this kind of spiritual quality he has for this team and the fact that they are at their first major tournament, and and that will that will count for a lot. Well, I'll be hoping for that Pandev moment, certainly. Thank you very much for that, Graham. We'll be back after these short messages to round out the facts on Group C. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. We are talking Euro 2020 Group C. Joe Lowry, I turn to you, my good sir. We are talking about the Netherlands. Can you tell me uh, a stat that maybe, or a number that tells a story of this team? Uh, and if, if you don't have anything for that, I'd like to hear what your opinion on whether this team is in a better position this summer than it would have been last. I'll start with the second part, and I do have a stat. I do have a number for you. So just I wait would. half second on that. I think I think this Netherlands team would have been better off in 2020 easily, um, and that's not necessarily because of the coaching change. If it had been last summer, if this tournament had been held last summer, it would have been Ronald Koeman instead of Frank de Boer, um, which maybe is slightly better, but I, I don't know that there's a massive difference there. The biggest thing for me, I've mentioned it multiple times, Virgil van Dijk being out for this tournament. If you have him last year before he goes down injured for Liverpool – this team looks borderline dominant, and the fact that they don't have him certainly hurts. So that's that's my take on better off 2020 or 2021. I think they're better off last year easily. My number, my stat, uh, is 12. Uh, according to Total Football Analysis, the Netherlands rank in the 12th percentile in terms of long pass tendency based off of their matches over the last year. That means they don't play a lot of long balls, and that fits with what we know of Frank de Boer, and it fits with what we know of how the Dutch historically like to play soccer. Frank de Boer wants this team to connect passes and build methodically, and we're going to see that even more so, I think, in this group with a lot of more defensively oriented teams. So that can produce some really fun, beautiful soccer that's breaking through blocks and getting into the box and creating good chances, or it can be a bit of a slog. I think we could see some of both over the course of this group stage, but that's my number 12 in that 12th percentile. They don't play a lot of long balls in the Netherlands. 
Joe, if if in your opinion, let's say the Netherlands maybe don't start strong. Let's say they finish second in this group. That would put them, I think, up against likely Italy, the winners of Group A in the knockout round. If they get eliminated earlier, if they don't have a strong tournament, or, or I guess anybody can answer this one, is is that proof that Virgil Van Dijk has had like the most impactful season from an injury standpoint of anybody ever? Because oh, for Liverpool to have the downturn they did, and then for the Netherlands, if they had a bad competition as well, a lot of it being because they don't have Van Dijk. I don't know if there's been another one that was that big for two different organizations. Well, and this this makes me think of that whole, I guess this is a very American discussion, but the whole MVP debate. How do you award the MVP? What does most valuable player actually mean? It doesn't always mean best player. I think it, there's a very good argument for it to literally mean what it says it does. Virgil van Dijk brings so much value to whatever team he's playing for, be that Liverpool or the Netherlands. Man, losing him really hurt Liverpool. You, me, and Ryan have talked about that many times, and Graham, I'm sure you guys have gone through that on the weekend review in weeks past. And yeah, if the Netherlands go out early, there's another big argument to be made that he's the most important, the most valuable player in global soccer. I don't think that's too outlandish of a take. Yeah, I don't think I disagree. Graham, Ryan, do either of you have thoughts on that one? I think um, on, on the most impactful player by their absence... You remember when Neymar died in 2014? That was quite impactful for the film. <laughs> Otherwise, you might be right. That's outstanding work by you, Ryan. <laughs> oh, boy. Good answer. Good answer. Thanks. <laughs> um, I will uh, turn my attention to... Por- uh, to sorry, not to Portugal, to the Ukraine. Uh, I think they, are prob- they probably were marginally better off last summer as well, just because, um, I don't know, time marches on. And also, their World Cup qualification campaign is a little uh, stunted at the moment. So I don't think they're coming in in the richest vein of form possible. But if I'm going to give you a number, I'm going to give you uh, Shiva's win percentage as a manager, 46.7. That is better than Franco Foda at, at Austria, who's uh, in the 45s. Why it's are you a- going to take my number? Why do you going to jump in and take my <laughs> number? Take, was that your number? <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> specifically my number, you jerk. Great minds think alike, Tay-Tay. Great minds a- think alike. Um, well, just just to finish that thought, it's, it's, I'd say, well, I'll, I'll let you build on that thought as well, Taylor, but <laughs> just uh, it's it's a re- it's a pretty good number, and you compare that to sort of um, uh, Fernando Santos at Portugal. He, he's in the 49-ish sort of bracket. Frank de Boer's up at 57, but his stats are padded somewhat by his uh, Ajax success. So I don't know what you can read into that because obviously there's different caliber of opponents that Shiva's faced in his time, but they're, the, the, the Ukraine are not to be messed with, and they have had some impressive results. Certainly, I'll, I'll point to the aforementioned draw they got in Paris with France in, in, in a World Cup qualifier as well. So um, I, I'm looking forward to see what kind of damage this team could do. But it's equally um, likely that they get finished finish bottom this group and let Macedonia through in third place. So who's to say about that one? Taylor, do you want to jump in with um, uh, a number which I didn't pull from under you in any way? Well, except that I think Franco Foto's win percentage is about 60%. I think he's at 59.26%. He's uh, managed 27 games. He's won 16 of them. So what I was going to point to there was that he has had uh, more success than any Austria manager since at least 1999. Uh, That's going off of Wikipedia numbers. Uh, But I think what, again, that says to me is though this is an Austria team that, like, in the last Euros, I think, got one draw, didn't really impress, didn't end up making it through as... Even the third place team, they might have finished fourth in that group. Um, but I think they're a team that could easily fly under the radar. I would not call them like a dark horse team or a team that could make a deep run. 
But simultaneously, they've got this coach who does have, he's been there since 2017. He's got a good record. He's got a good squad of veterans around him. He's got some young players. They have a coherent system. They all seem to understand and appreciate. And they've been playing Nations League games, not as, as successfully, but not unsuccessfully. Uh, I think that they won their, their lower tier group. So I think overall, it's a strong team with a, with a manager that knows what he wants and knows how he wants to play. And I think that can be of major importance when you're going into knockout competitions. So I think his win percentage does impress me a little bit, as do Austria, more than I thought they would when I started this preview. Uh, Taylor, just to clarify, I had a completely different number. I didn't steal yours <laughs> at all because my 45.7% was um, Foda's career managerial ah, wins, there which we is are. roughly the same number as he managed with Kaiserslautern. So I was going for a more, you know, a, a general <laughs> overview. <laughs> so I, didn't, I hope I didn't take the win from yourselves too Not much from that Not at all. You're forgiven. Uh, thank you very much. Graham Ruthven, um, as much as you can tell us about North Macedonia stats-wise and whether they were better off, uh, whether they are better off um, with this tournament being delayed. Yeah, so I'll take the the second part of that question first. I think they are in a better place than they were a year ago. I think North Macedonia's qualification, you could have written that off a year ago as a, a quirk of the Nations League and how that League D section was always going to produce a minnow qualifier and North Macedonia were that, were that minnow qualifier. But since then, they've backed it up with wins over uh, Estonia in, in the Nations League. And, and we've already mentioned, obviously, a few times the the win, the win over Germany in World Cup qualification. So I think that that win over Germany alone, obviously a lot of these teams haven't played a lot of matches in the year <laughs> since last summer, but that win alone, I think, puts them in a, in a better place. But that, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a particularly entertaining and thrilling team to watch. And I'm going to bring my, my stat my stats in here so I looked at their playoff final win against uh, Georgia there were 29 fouls in that game only sh- uh, which is some Fernandinho level fouling and only four shots in target I looked through some of their other matches it's all quite similar 26 fouls three shots 26 fouls five shots I think this might be a reflection of what to expect from North Macedonia I think they'll be competitive I don't think they'll be humiliated as I say but maybe not a uh, a thrilling spectacle from their matches. All right. Well, I'm going to go around the uh, round the horn and get your predictions for how this group is going to shake out. I think we have a reasonably good idea, but I'd also invite you gents, if you have one, to give me a fun soccer fact about your nation of choice. I'll go first with the Ukraine, um, who, when you think of Ukrainian soccer, weirdly, a lot of people think of Brazilians because of um, Shakhtar Donetsk and that sort of transfer strategy they made to bring in Brazilians. And you think of lots of Brazilian players who've come from the Ukraine, Fernandinho, Willian, Ilano, Luis Adriano, uh, Douglas Costa, blah, blah, blah. The current Shakhtar squad has 10 Brazilians on it as well. And this Ukrainian team also has a few Brazilian-born naturalised stars on it. It's got Marlos, the right winger from Shakhtar, and uh, Juno Moraes, who is from Santos, born in Santos. He got his citizenship in the Ukraine in March 2019. So there will be a little bit of Samba flair on this uh, Ukrainian team as well, which you can look forward to. If I'm not mistaken, Qatar are trying to do a similar process of naturalization with a few South Americans. Anyone got any more perspective on that? Just me? <laughs> if you want me to talk about Qatar, we'll have to make this like an explicitly tagged show. So maybe it's better to stick to uh, this group. <laughs> All right, Joe, I'll go to you. Um, let's get your thoughts on how this group's going to shake out. And if you have one, a fun fact. Sure. Yeah, I think my my heart 
says pick the Netherlands up top. My brain says maybe don't because of what I said earlier about you know the style that they play not always being the most conducive to winning a group or winning a, a tournament like this. All that said, I'm still going to go with the Netherlands up top in this group just because they have the most talent. Then Austria, then Ukraine, then North Macedonia. Nothing personal there, Graham. Uh, but Ryan, my, my obscure soccer fact about the Netherlands is about their manager, Frank de Boer. Frank de Boer recently appeared in a teaser for a Dutch Netflix crime movie called Fairy. He was in this little teaser trailer Fairy, apparently, the, the character, and I don't speak Dutch, so this is all taken with a big grain of salt. Uh, Fairy, the, the main character of this movie, tries to find out who Frank de Boer has chosen for this European roster. Um, and de Boer won't spill the beans, and Fairy tries to shoot him, but the gun won't fire. This is all things that I can sort of, you know, take out from not speaking their language and reading through Dutch subtitles. But it's, uh, it's very moving. It's very thrilling. Frank de Boer apparently has acting chops if the whole co- uh, soccer coaching thing doesn't work out. This could be uh, the move for him, acting in Dutch crime thrillers. Joe, I think I just had a fever dream for a few minutes. What's the name yeah, of what? that? <laughs> the movie is called Fairy. It's F-E-R-R-Y. I, I, it's, a, it's a prequel, I believe, to another crime series or movies on Dutch Netflix. And uh, Frank DeBoer apparently is brought in to help promote that. I don't know if I would love it more if Joe were completely making this all up or if it were real. <laughs> but either way, I love it and I'm into it. Well, I know it's I'm real. Doing it is this. real. Oh, yeah, Goodness yeah, yeah. me. That's incredible. I can't believe we saved the best nugget of information in this podcast till the hour mark. Thank you very much for that, Joe. Taylor, I come to you mm-hmm. with your predictions for the group and any funness Austrian-wise. Yeah, I would just, uh, to the funness aspect, I would mention that uh, the Austrian Wunder team of the 1930s was one of the most impressive Austrian teams that has ever existed. And I think the Austrian teams of that era are often cited as being the inspirations for what would become total football, which is now what is dominant all over. So I think we can all give credit to Austria uh, for that one, though I have a feeling we probably don't necessarily need to. In terms of how the group, I think, will play out, uh, I don't mean this to be like a cop-out answer, but I think it's really important. That first day of games, I think, will tell us a lot about this one because it's it's going to be, what, Austria versus North Macedonia. And I think if Austria win that one convincingly 2-0, I think that tells us that they are going to be a stronger team. If that one is nil-nil and, and sort of dull and nobody gets anything going, which is often the case with the opening matches, and then if the Netherlands uh, blow away the Ukraine and win 3-0, I think we have an idea of the Netherlands are easily going to walk this group. But if it is Austria get a win, or even North Macedonia get a, a win, and maybe Ukraine keep it level it's one-to-one in that one then i think we're going to understand that this group is going to be much more open so based on that opening day i'll say i still have the netherlands top and then i think it's between austria and ukraine i'm going to give the edge to austria mostly because i previewed them in north macedonia at the bottom but i would love to be wrong and have it be ukraine or austria at the top netherlands at the bottom north macedonia making it uh to the next round in third place yeah, that, that sounds as unlikely as a Frank DeBoer acting role, but we'll see um, about, about that one. I think I vaguely agree with the Netherlands and Austria in the top two spots. Graham, how about you? I My hunch is that Frank DeBoer is going to Frank DeBoer this up yeah. <laughs> at this tournament. I, I'm just going to go, not purely, not really because I think Austria are a great team. Scotland actually played Austria um, earlier this year and got a 2-2 draw, so not not fantastic and not not an amazing team but i just think because netherlands are not in a great place i'm gonna go austria netherlands ukraine north macedonia i think as my my order of the group my weird fact um 
I think I, I think not such a weird fact of, of, of fact. I've got two to mention here, but I think it'd be remiss of me not to mention that you didn't imagine it. The country I've been talking about in this whole podcast was called something else until 2018. They were just Macedonia. Um, but that's when a long-standing dispute with Greece was resolved. There's an area in Greece also called Macedonia, and this this issue was causing problems for the country at EU and UN level, and so the, they finally adopted the name North Macedonia three years ago. So that's uh, how that one played out. And my other one is, going back to my our, our old friend, Goran Pandev, who actually owns a club that plays in the North Macedonia top flight, and their name is Academia Pandev. Fantastic. Wow. <laughs> I was, uh, it, he looks more like he'd owned a nightclub own, uh, named that, to be honest. <laughs> but Yeah. yeah I think I it like might that. be a nightclub that just has a team that plays in the North Macedonian top flight on the side. Like <laughs> and then I, think, I think I'm correct in saying that Alexander the Great was actually the king of Macedonia. So there's that historical connection. And I would say, do you know who his dad was? No. It was Goran Pandev. <laughs> Little known fact, Goran Pandev is actually Alexander the Great's dad. That's how old he is. Oh, wonderful stuff. Jens, thank you very much for running through Group C with me here. We didn't even mention that the Netherlands also have a big cat on, on their crest as well. So Macedonia, not the only ones uh, w- with a big cat. We'll be uh, talking about three big cats on a shirt in our Group D preview coming up very shortly on your feed. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for your time. Right back at you, buddy. Joseph Lowey, a pleasure. You got it. Graham Rutherford, we'll be talking about Scotland soon. Looking forward to it. Yes. Bye. Bye.